Let's pray. Lord God, uh, we come before you this morning, and we want to hear from you. I pray, Lord, that your word will speak to us today, that we will uh, be students of the word, that we would be like the Bereans, that we would study and search the scripture and confirm your truths, that, uh, Lord, we would not rely on those uh, speaking or interpreting, but we would ourselves look at your word, understand what it means, Lord. So we ask for your help, Lord. As we read your word, help us to uh, understand your word. And Lord, help us to apply it in our lives. We come before you this morning expectantly uh, that your word will speak to us. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, as our healer, Lord, that you would heal not just our spiritual healing, emotional healing, but also our physical bodies, Lord. Help us to learn what that means today and in our further study. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our healer. You are our Savior, our sanctifier, healer, and coming King. And we praise and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The mission statement of the Christian and Missionary Alliance that was adopted in 1996 states, Our mission is to know Jesus Christ, exalt Him as Savior, sanctifier, healer, and coming King, and complete His great commission. Evangelizing and discipling persons throughout the United States and incorporating them into Christ-centered, community-focused congregations. Mobilizing them for active involvement in a missionary effort designed to plant Great Commission churches among both unreached and responsive peoples worldwide. In biblical times, oil came from the pressing of olives and had numerous practical uses, including fuel for lamps, oil for cooking, and medicine. From the, its use as both an internal and external remedy for various illnesses and injuries, olive oil came to symbolize and picture the healing power and work of Jesus. Oil also was used in the ceremonial work of God in the Jewish sacrificial and priestly systems. Although we are not told that Jesus himself ever used oil during an act of healing, his disciples used it when he sent them out into the communities. In Mark chapter 6, verse 13b, it says, They anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Thus Jesus began the association of oil with divine healing. The use of oil in the church as symbolic of the Lord's healing comes from the instruction of James to the one who was sick. James 5.14 says, he should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. The body of Christ has followed this prescription right to the present day. And the elders at Evanston Alliance Church have followed this instruction as recently as last Sunday after the worship service. Today we will also do this again after we celebrate communion. Isaiah 53 that uh, Dwayne read uh, 
is part of the Old Testament prophecy describing the life and ministry of the coming Messiah, Jesus. I'll repeat a couple of those verses. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5 says, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced by our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. So one aspect of Christ's work is healing. Matthew 8, verses 16 and 17, tells us who fulfilled this prophecy in Isaiah. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. As you are able, would you please stand with me as uh, I read God's word from John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow? Who told you to pick it up and walk? The man, was the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word to increase our understanding and to glorify himself. Just a few notes uh, from my uh, NIV study Bible that I have with me here this morning. You'll notice in verse 2 of that reading, the word used is there is. So use of the present tense may mean that the pool was still in existence and that John wrote his gospel before the destruction of Jerusalem. The site is generally identified with the twin pools near the present day 
St. Anne's Church. There would have been a colonnade on each of the four sides and another between the two pools. In verse 6, do you want to get well? You'll notice that the man hadn't asked Jesus for help. And in verse 7, when the water is stirred, the man did not see Jesus as a potential healer, and his mind was set on the supposed curative powers of the water. The man was cured. Ordinarily, faith in Jesus was essential to the cure. But here, the man did not even know who Jesus was. So while Jesus usually healed in response to faith, he was not limited by a person's lack of it. And the Jewish leader said, the law forbids you to carry your mat. Well, it was not the law of Moses itself, first five books of the Bible, but their traditional interpretation of it that prohibited carrying loads of any kind on the Sabbath. You notice the reference to this fellow by the Jewish leaders. The Jews were contrasting the authority of the law of God, which in their view prohibited the action, and that of a mere man, as they considered Jesus to be, who permitted it. Now it's interesting. Have you ever looked at uh, verse 14? Stop sinning. This implies that the man's sins had caused his disability. In uh, chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus had repudiated the idea that disabilities, such as blindness on that occasion, are always caused by sin. But he does not say that they are never caused by sin. Something worse. The eternal consequences of sin are more serious than any physical ailment. I'd also like to thank Joyce Arnsey this morning. I have this neat little uh, bookmark that she made me, and you notice it has the, uh, the symbols, the cross and the laver and the pitcher and the crown on it. So thank you, Joyce, for that. Came in handy today. <laughs> so if you're following along, how many of you use the NIV version of this scripture? Did you notice something missing? If you look at your verse in the NIV, it goes from verse 2 and 3, and verse 4 is missing. So, you may ask, what happened to verse 4 in this translation? Well, some scholars state that this verse doesn't appear in the earliest versions of the Bible. And the NIV footnote says that some less important manuscripts contain the ending of verse 3 and verse 4 as it says, paralyzed, and they waited for the moving in the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool, and after each such disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease he had. This verse may have been added later by scholars to explain why so many people are there and why they raced to the pool when the water moved. Uh, the note in my Bible says that the that most see it more as commentary than part of the original passage, but I see it as being part of the Bible and God's Word. Uh, other commentaries would argue that verse 4 should be in the text as it's necessary for the understanding of the passage. In any event, Jesus' healing of the invalid shows how he can bring hope and strength to us. 
While Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Passover, he encountered a man by the pool of Bethesda, a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years is a long time, especially to people that are younger than 38 years. It's a long time to be sick. One week was much too long for me when I was sick in the hospital for about a week uh, with E. coli. Uh, but I had my wife, my family, many friends, nurses and doctors to pray for me, uh, encourage me, and help me. Even our associate pastor at that time, Bob Witt, even talked me into going on my first overseas short-term mission trip to Gabon. So God really used that illness and the fact that I was probably out of my mind part of the time to make that decision. So looking at this man in the verses we're looking at today, it was a very long time to be sick without any friends to help him. This man was not only helpless, he was also hopeless. To understand the truth of this story, we need to note the three things Jesus said to the man. If you want to write these down now so you don't have to do it later, uh, the first thing is, do you want to get well? The second thing was get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And then finally, see you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. So looking at the first of these statements, or a question actually, do you want to get well? Jesus challenged the man to consider whether he was content with his condition or whether he wanted to be made whole. This is always Jesus' approach. We are free to choose his help or to reject it. Jesus' question also forced the man to admit his helplessness. In John 5, 7, the man replies, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Like this man, each of us must come to the point where we recognize and admit that without Christ's help, we are lost, helpless, and hopeless. So is, is coming to church today simply one more thing on your list of things to do? Is it just one more item on your agenda mixed in with work, kids' soccer games, and your own leisure pursuits? Is it just another box you need to check off each week because you're a decent person and decent person, people have to do the church thing? Or, do you come to church as a starving beggar who needs the bread of life to feed your soul? Do you come as a spiritually blind man who needs to see by the light of God's word? Do you come as someone who will be lost for all eternity without the mercy and grace of God? Are you willing to admit the desperate condition you are in? If so, are you ready to receive the healing and blessing that Jesus wants to give you? Now, Alliance founder A.B. Simpson personally experienced healing from the Lord, and he widely taught and practiced it. Simpson presented these basic principles about divine healing, as was summarized by David Presher, who at that time was uh, vice president for advancement of the CNMA. It was in the uh, January 2005 issue of Alliance Life. It stated, Though healing is made available to believers through the atonement, it is still subjugated to God's eternal purposes. 
Therefore, Christians must wait before God to discern his immediate will in the matter. This requires a close and pure walk with the Lord, whereby we are truly able to listen to the voice of God, discern his will in regard to our healing, and, in faith, receive it. Our faith also comes from him. In your bulletins, or at least in some of the bulletins today, all of them? All of them. We, Kimberly made enough copies today to put in all the bulletins. You'll see a, a little form that I believe was developed when Pastor Dan Wetzel, the second pastor in the church here at Evanston Alliance Church, uh, prepared uh, to help heal people who need healing. And it's something that you might want to consider uh, as you come to request healing uh, and prayer from the elders. Uh, through the anointing with oil. I need to make clear that there is no person who is a healer. Uh, There are no faith healers who are human beings. God, Jesus Christ, is the healer. So if one says that they are a faith, faith healer, be very careful about what they tell you. And remember that Christ is our healer. As A.B. Simpson said in The Word, The Work, and The World in July and August issue of 1887, so we're going back a ways here, divine healing is not giving up medicines or fighting with physicians or against remedies. It is not even believing in the prayer of faith or in the men and women who teach divine healing, nor is it believing the doctrine to be true. But it is really receiving the personal life of Christ to be in us as the supernatural strength of our body and the supply of physical life. It is a living fact, not a mere theory of doctrine. As Paul replaced his perspiration with the Lord's inspiration through the Holy Spirit in sanctification, so with healing, we need to receive the personal life of Christ in us as the supernatural strength of our body and the supply of physical life. As the book, uh, Knowing Jesus, which I occasionally use in the membership class, uh, states, Jesus Christ came to save, to sanctify, to heal, and to reign. Healing is probably the least understood and most neglected. Many have distanced themselves from the ministry of healing for a variety of reasons, including a reaction to abuses, a fear of being labeled fanatical, and a reluctance to explain a, quote, failure. But the bigger questions have to do with confusion and doubts. Confusion is a favorite tactic of Satan and his demons to lead a child of God to indecision and avoidance. But God's Word, the Bible, serves as the best and only completely reliable guide to truth and practical answers about healing. What does the Bible say? about Jesus as healer? A clear answer to this question will lead the believer to trust him fully to meet every need. In addition, genuine accounts of healing from credible people in our generation compel us to at least think about the fact that God's provision of healing is for people of faith today, just as it was for people of previous generations. If you've not read the January 2005 issue of Alliance Life, I would encourage you to do so if you can find it in the archives. There are many examples of healing contained in it. 
the youth who went to Life 2022 this year would be particularly interested in the story of the healing of Lydia, who was attending Life in 2004 and was struck by a car in Phoenix. Our former district superintendent, Tim Owen, also prepared a brochure regarding his healing, which was entitled, Cancer, A Healing Encounter with God. Tim later succumbed years after this first bout with cancer from a brain tumor after he just finished his term as our district superintendent. The previous pastor in uh, Missoula, Missoula Alliance Church, Jeff Valentine, also was healed from a brain tumor. He joked that one day he was sitting in his living room in his house in Missoula, which was on the road to the church there, Missoula Alliance Church, and he was looking out his living room window, and he couldn't believe it. There were so many cars going to church that morning. I mean, it was, it was amazing. He thought, well, the church is really doing well without me. Uh, there's all these people going to church. Fortunately, it was just his double vision. But uh, he gave his story at one general council as well as, as being healed. Uh, also, most recently, you could read about our President John Stumbo's healing in his uh, two books regarding that healing. Now, not all prayers for healing turn out as we request, but God's will is done. This was the case with Emily Suaro, whose story was also in Alliance Life. Her parents, Bob and Jennifer, held on to the hope that God would choose to heal Emily of respiratory syncytial virus and the pneumonia that attacked her. But on December 31st, 2002, God took her home. Her tired body could not fight the disease. God did answer their prayer, not in the way they wanted, but he did take away their daughter's pain. The doctors couldn't believe how quickly Emily lost her fight. I suppose if you look at it in the long term, what is God's greatest healing? That's when we're with him. Okay, let's look at Jesus' next statement to the invalid. This must have struck him. Pretty strange. You know, we talk about, you know, he didn't even know who Jesus was at the time. But I believe there was this transformation of faith here. He may not have known who Jesus was. But Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. What would you have done at that point? Would you have just laid there and says, I can't do that. I've been this way for 38 years. But what did he do? It, at first it seemed like a ridiculous command, right? Jesus was telling the man to do the one thing in the world he could not do. But that is what Jesus does. He brings us face to face with the impossible and commands us to act. Jesus' command contained three parts. Get up. Although Jesus had commanded him to do the impossible, there was something in Jesus that convinced the man that he could do what Jesus told him to do. In that moment, when the invalid's will met and yielded to the will of Jesus, 
the Lord's healing power flashed across that connection. Next, pick up your mat. Jesus made no provision for the man to slip back into his infirmity. He would no longer need his mat or his place beside the pool. When Jesus sets us free, we must burn our bridges behind us and cut ourselves adrift from anything that could hold us back. Finally, walk. He's got up, picked up his mat. Now Jesus tells him, walk. The man would no longer be carried. He would rise up to walk in a new life. God expects us to do something with his gifts. We must use the abilities and gifts that he gives us. Now, modern medicine proclaims it will soon unravel much of death's mystery. But I agree with Benjamin Elliott's statement in that Alliance Life that no man-made solution will ever treat the underlying problem that besets the health of humanity. There are many short-term remedies to the symptoms of sin in the world, but our healer is the Lord Jesus Christ alone. In Romans 5, verse 12, we are told that sickness is the result of Adam's sin. We can't extract ourselves from that mire or conquer our own mortality. What we are powerless to accomplish over sickness and death, God has done through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Finally, the third statement. See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. This is the next statement of Jesus to the man. John 5.3 states there were a great number of disabled people lying by the pool of Bethesda. John tells of Jesus' healing only a single invalid. Certain commentaries and notes in a Bible I once used is that Jesus may have healed more than this one man, but John followed only his story. Or perhaps Jesus healed this man because he alone expressed a desire to be healed. Or perhaps he singled out this man simply to demonstrate God's power. The main point of the miracle is not just Jesus' power over physical disabilities, but his power to save us from our spiritual disabilities as well. Jesus' statement to the man teaches us that there's something worse than physical disabilities. Remaining in one's sins. The tragedy of 38 years as an invalid is no comparison to the doom of hell. Though we all would like to have bodies free from defects and disabilities. Amen? <laughs> it's far more important that we have the healing power of Jesus for our souls. 